Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. This week I have Adam Cowzard on. But before we jump into that conversation, I just want to remind you that Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. You can check them all out at modern-vinyl.com and there's a little podcast tab right there with a drop down. You'll find this, the Modern Vinyl podcast, Pilot Study, and Vinyl Crawl. I highly suggest checking them all out, especially if you love TV, check out Pilot Study. They go over obviously a pilot episode for shows and that's it they do not go any further into the series and they just give some great analysis and have fun conversations about that but now we're going to go ahead and jump into our conversation with adam adam how are you doing today hey i'm great how are you pretty good it is quite hot here it's about 90 right now so our air conditioner is working very hard but it is not working in my room right now well it's working but it's still very hot in my room <laughs> oh man it's i wish i could say the same it's 74 but my air conditioner is still on so i'm a terrible human being i should be saving electricity but i'm not <laughs> see it works fine but we don't have any insulation in the house so then it's like once the air conditioner gets it down to 80 that's like kind of where it maxes out on lowering the temperature once it's above 90 outside <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so it still feels cool compared to outside that's at least a plus it's just like recircle sorry yeah recirculating the warmer or less warmer air <laughs> right yeah well why don't we go ahead and jump into things when did you sort of initially get into the music industry I first got my start in the music industry actually when I was 17 years old. I may or may not have lied about my age at the time to sign contracts, uh, <laughs> booking shows, bringing in bands, um, you know, working with bands like Vanna and Our Last Night, you know, before they were you know, even coming out. Our Last Night, their singer, I think, was like 13 years old at the time. They just got signed to Epitab, um, you know, bringing bands into Portland, Maine that otherwise may or may not have come to this tiny little market on the East Coast that, you know, many people know as vacation land, but never actually would think of otherwise. But there's a thriving little community here, especially in the music community. And it's, you know, being able to bring in bands from, you know, other areas of the country and show them just how great it is here. It was always really cool at that age. Um, so beyond that, I mean, I kind of got into management unintentionally. It was, I started going on a tour with bands. I went out initially doing merch and, kind of worked my way up and started tour managing. Eventually I got out and did Warp Tour a few times and a few other larger festivals. And it kind of came back and I realized I like the more fast-paced environment of working in an office, but still maintaining you know the music side of it. So that's where the management really came into it, using that past experience from you know where I came from, not forgetting my roots, so to speak. Right. And when you were pursuing a degree, it was in communications. Do you think, even though you didn't finish the degree, that it sort of helped with working in an industry like the music industry? Oh, absolutely. I think, I would say most of my friends in the music industry that may or may not have a degree, I don't think many have a music industry degree. And, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't know this was a career opportunity. I didn't realize it was a path. Otherwise, right. I think I may have stayed in school at the time instead of dropping out the tour. But um, being able to use what I learned in college definitely helps now. I think one of the best classes I actually took that has really prepared me for my career at where I'm at right now is actually an entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship class. It wasn't even, it was just an elective I took just for the hell of it. And honestly, the things I learned in that class 
I'll probably stick with for the rest of my life. Um, the communications aspect, there were definitely classes like public speaking and, um, you know, written oral versus oral and communication. But, you know, I'm glad I don't have to use, but there's a lot of things that, you know, 90% of my job is email and on the telephone. So there's still communication aspects there, but right. it's not something like I'm up there every day talking to people. Thank God my anxiety would be through the roof if I did. But at the same time, you know, it, it, the entire job description essentially at the end of the day as a manager is communicating effectively and getting multiple parties to, you know, be able to effectively do their job. You know, it's, you're the middleman there. Right. And my degree actually is in music industry, which I think a lot of people find weird that that's an option now, because when, you know, I was on my plane coming or going to Drexel and people, you know, sitting next to me would ask me like, whether I went to Drexel or Penn or something like that. And then they would ask what my major was and they would like, would mostly ask if I was in engineering or something because that's what Drexel's really known for. And right. I was like, no, music industry. And they were like, oh, okay. Like yeah, a lot of them didn't really know what exactly that meant. Yeah, it throws a lot of people off. And I think it's because it's such a unique field, you know, and I, I, I can't speak for you and anybody else, but I can't imagine doing anything else. I really can't. Right. I mean, I was doing a desk job like you were a nine to five, basically, and it was at a company where I stared at spreadsheets all day. And basically what I did was I took the song information from the spreadsheets and put it into their database. And because the two computers were on two different operating systems, I couldn't even copy and paste things over. So you literally had to type it word for word into a different computer. And I did that almost all of last year, but then I decided that, you know, that wasn't quite the job for me. So I quit, moved back home. And I'm sure the listeners are probably already tired of this story. But since <laughs> I've moved back home, basically what I've been doing is I had started my own label at Drexel, which I mean, it's not something that makes me money right now. But I'm trying to just help out bands that I really enjoy listening to. And I think, you know, getting their music out there to even just a small amount of websites is something that would help them. And maybe then, you know, those smaller websites, because they talked about it, it'll hit bigger websites for the next release and that sort of thing. And then I've been running Hi-Fi Noise, which is just a, you know, music website is what it started as. And then I moved into posting, you know, movie, TV show trailers, reviewing comics and books and sports and that sort of thing. And since I've been doing that, I've also taken on a couple of other free writing gigs, one for a Lakers website and then talking comics. So I can kind of get my writing reaching bigger audiences than just my little website that maybe gets 50 views a day if I'm lucky. And I feel like, you know, not having an actual solid job in the industry for going on eight months now, it's been hard and a little discouraging at times, but it's an industry that's always been that way, I feel like. So it's like everyone kind of knows that going into it. Right. And, you know, I've been applying to writing jobs, social media jobs for companies that aren't even necessarily music based. I've been doing freelance PR when I can. I have two clients that I'm working with right now, but, you know, that's not steady, like I mentioned. So it's kind of hard just to find something that isn't 
quite the same as a nine to five desk job, but you you lose you, that stability. But I think the comments right. right here. I think for everybody, if you got into the music industry for you know money, you are probably running in the opposite direction. <laughs> right. The first day, you know, I, I think the common thread here with everybody in music, regardless whether you're a musician or you're at a label or you're a manager or you're an agent or TM or publicist, anything really that, you know, the common thread is that you do this out of the love for music. And, right. um, you know, it, it comes down to at the end of the day, are you happy with it? And I think most of us would agree, despite the highs and the lows, I think it's a pretty okay job at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, at this part point, I'm like, okay, if I can just get something going that at least pays, even if I have to stay at my parents' house for a little longer, you know, that's not a big deal. I'm 23. It's not the end of the world. So it's not like I'm 30, 40 and still living at home. So right. I feel like I still have a little bit of time to do this and figure things out and kind of see if maybe freelance PR works, if writing works out and that sort of thing. So it's definitely a work in progress right now. And I feel like a lot of people in the industry kind of dip their toes into a, a bunch of different areas to really figure out what they like doing first. It's not like you know right off the bat necessarily. Absolutely. Like I said, I didn't realize management was where I would want to end up. And I still right. think, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, I don't know if I'll still be doing management. I, right now I'm happy with it. But, um, you know, ultimately, I, the reason I wanted to go to school for communications was for film industry. I, you know, I wanted to get into the film industry and that was the easiest route to get in, quote unquote, at the time without actually going to film school. And I was actually accepted to USC, their uh, film school. And it was right before that that I actually dropped out to tour. So, um, you know, being able to kind of find something that you love and you're passionate about has always been, you know, the golden thread for me. And I think a lot of people will agree, but it takes some time to really find what works. And because this industry does change, when I first got into it, the industry was drastically different than what it is today. Right. And certainly won't even be the same today as it is tomorrow or, you know, six months from now. So it, you don't know what's going to happen. I think that's part of the excitement that comes with it. You know, you're kind of on a, you know, nonstop roller coaster here. Yeah. And you mentioned not realizing that management was where you wanted to end up, but you're there now. And when did that really start? I know you mentioned that you founded a smaller company and then that merged with new age media management. So how did that process kind of happen? It kind of came out of the blue. I was working with a longtime uh, friend of mine who at the time was actually working at a label and he was about to leave the label. He was starting his own company and we kind of kept in touch. And about a year after I launched my company when you know I had a full roster and he had a full roster, it, we started working together and a couple months later, it was, you know, there's a merger offer on the table and I took the offer and made the most sense at the time to, you know, accept a merger with a company based in New York that was a little bit bigger and would give me more room to grow as a manager and be able to kind of, you know, explore more opportunities than I may not have been able to on my own. And since then, I've been with New Age for three years now. We just celebrated our fifth anniversary as a company, actually, at the beginning of this month. And, you know, we're excited to see really we're looking to continue to grow as much in the next five years as we have in the past you know, five years ourselves. So we'll see what happens in the near future, but there's still you know, plenty of things. Like I said, I don't know where I'll be in 10 years, but right now I'm happy with management. So, Right. And congrats on the five years. You, you. are a VP there. So what does that entail? Do you still 
manage bands or do you kind of manage the managers at this point or something? I mean, our job right now, we have such a small team over here, so I feel like VP is a little bit misleading, but, okay. um, the, you know, the focus is our artists foremost, more so than New Age itself, because ultimately if our artists aren't succeeding and they're not, you know, making the steps in their career that they need to be making with us leading the way for them and, you know, pay the, paving the path, so to speak, if right. they're not succeeding at the end of the day, nor are we as managers and as, you know, individuals, because we have to take on their set of goals and, Oftentimes, those may conflict in, with not only my personal goals, but also with the goals of the company. And you kind of have to take that into consideration and prioritize. And then when you have, right now, we have a total of six artists on our roster, and we work on all six projects. So it's between you know our entire team that you know we're handling everything. So it's, right. it's there's never a dull day, to say the least. But um, you know, as a VP, the responsibilities are endless because everything is different for each artist that we have, but also everything that our company is doing, you know, at the end of the year, we've always done a benefit compilation. We've worked with VH1 in the past. We've worked with, uh, keep abreast and a few other great nonprofits. And, you know, that's certainly part of it, but there's so many more elements to it that you're doing on a day to day between the accounting and growing the business and, you know, making sure that not only are your artists doing well, that you're also doing well yourself. And, like I said, there's highs and lows in the industry almost on a daily basis, it seems like. But, um, you know, first and foremost, they are primary, primary focus than anything. So it's tough for me to be able to say, yes, as a VP, that my focus is on our company because I, I don't think that'll ever be the case. Even our CEO and our president, my partner, he still manages just as much as I do. It's, you know, we just have to find time that we're managing things, collectively speaking, no pun intended, you know, at the same time. Yeah. And with New Age being New York based, do you have an office in New York that you go to? I know the few managers that I do know, they kind of just work remotely and that sort of thing. So is it an office environment that you guys have or are people kind of spread out here and there? We do. We do have an office. Uh, it's based at 230 Park Ave in Manhattan, but we also have uh, three of our managers all work remotely. I work remotely myself, as does um, one of our managers who's based in Cleveland and even Adam works out of uh, Connecticut at times. So we're all kind of back and forth in the office whenever we need to be there. You know, we're there, but um, working remotely is definitely, I would say, majority, not the majority of the industry as far as managers go, but I've noticed a trend in a lot of people doing it remotely. And I think it's, it's cost effective. You know, right. you're able to focus more. Um, there's also downsides to working remotely. It's very, very hard to not, not turn my head to my TV and want to watch ESPN <laughs> on every 15 minutes to watch Sports Center, especially yeah. when I have, have you know a conference call to prep for or a meeting coming up or something. But uh, there are far more distractions, but at the same time, you're a bit more comfortable too. So yeah. there's pros and cons to it. I've definitely been trying to look for as much remote work as I can just because I feel like eight months almost of not going into an office or, you know, having college classes or that sort of thing, it's going to be very hard for me to readjust if I do get an actual office job and have to start working on, you know, someone else's hours and being in Orange County right now, say I got something in LA, that drive would be a nightmare until I found a new place and that sort of thing. So oh, I can imagine. I definitely know what you're saying where there's pros and cons to it, but I still think it's definitely where a lot of places are heading just because in New York and LA and I'm sure Nashville office space is probably just so expensive 
as it is that if you have such a small team where you can work remotely and say use tools like Slack and that sort of thing to communicate, I feel like that becomes the better option for everyone. Absolutely. It's easier. And there's a lot of travel involved too. And that's, that's often the misstart. A lot of times you're on the road with an artist or, you know, you're flying to go look at a deal or do a handshake or, you know, whatever it may be for whatever reason you're in the air for. Right. But with all the travel and everything that comes with it, it's the office time. Like you said, the rates are so insanely high in places. Like I've seen a lot of music centric offices closing their doors in Manhattan and moving out to Brooklyn because it was cheaper. And now there's a run on Brooklyn office. Yeah. So it's, they're going to get further out. And eventually I, the way that I see the trend continuing, I feel like, you know, working from home and working remotely and all that, you know, with today more than ever between Skype and Basecamp and, you know, email access and, you know, all the, all the tools that we have at our disposal, it's, you know, it's endless. You know, you could hypothetically have a very, very successful career in music and never step foot in a traditional office if you're lucky right. or unlucky, depending on your outlook. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned, you know, sometimes going in and sometimes working remotely. Are you yourself based in New York or do you travel into the office when you have to go? Um, when I need to be there for meetings, I travel in. It, it used to be where I was going more frequently, but um, now for me, it's the less time I'm spending traveling, the more time I can focus on tasks at hand. So for me, the, like I said, the less travel, the more that I can be doing my job. Um, so remotely, you know, is by far the plus here. And, you know, what's not to love? Like I said, Maine is vacation land. That's, you know, that's the name of the state. So for me, I would much rather be in Maine. I'm more of a, I love the city, but I would rather be here kind of deal. Yeah, I have a friend who's not too far from Portland, Maine, I believe, and he's basically just getting to live in his parents' retirement house until they retire. So he's kind of just like taking care of the house and he managed to get a job up there and he was like, it's fantastic over here, you know, and I wouldn't think that about Maine, especially, you know, as someone who majored in the music industry, you don't exactly think of Maine as this big place that people would want to be in. You know, I actually had this conversation with my friend not too long ago. He said, you know, it is really hard for bands to necessarily come to Maine on tours and that sort of thing. Yep. So you kind of have to rely on whatever small local scene there is there to go to shows and stuff on a regular basis. There's been a lot of change. I mean, like I said, in high school, this is where I got my start in Portland and I found my way back. But the music industry as a whole, it's definitely, I wouldn't say it's forgotten here, but we're not on the map. We're not Nashville. We're not Austin. We're not New York or LA or even Chicago. You know, there's a lot of places that, you know, people think of when they say music industry, those are the first, you know, key markets you think of. And Maine, I would say is maybe a C market at best, maybe a B market if we're lucky, but we're also lucky enough to get a lot of great acts coming through. Um, You know, the struts, you know, one of the, heat-seeking bands the last two years, they just played a sold-out show here in a 500-cap room. And that's the benefit. I get to see a lot of shows that I saw them in New York a few months ago or a few years ago when they were first starting out in like studio at Webster Hall and it was like a half-packed room. Now I'm seeing them in Portland, Maine and it's a sold-out show to a much smaller crowd than what they're probably playing in other markets. And for me, I think that's cool. You know, you get that element that, you know, it's an intimate performance and you get to see that. Um, you know, one of my favorite bands, Start I Blind, I'm seeing them at the end of the month on literally it's on the pier looking out on the waterfront. Like it's this is one of the most gorgeous markets I've ever seen. 
we saw Mumford and Sons come up here a few years ago on a tour that was you know marketed as a festival basically, and they had this sweeping landscape of you know Casco Bay, which is you know breathtaking from that angle from that view we had from a hill looking right down at you know one of these cool acts that also played Coachella that year. So there's a lot of cool things going on here, but it's definitely off the beaten path. Yeah, it's definitely funny. I never thought I would have two people that I know in Maine, you know, so it's kind of cool to see that because my friend Michael, who's over there as well, he did major in music industry like I did, but he kind of went a different direction after he finished his year of grad school. And he seems like he's pretty happy with how that turned out because he did so much music stuff while he was at Drexel other than just, you know, our required two internships that we have to do. So it feels like sometimes being that involved in the music industry just for those four years that you're even at Drexel, sometimes people get worn out already with those four years. And then there's other times where people go, you know, a quarter or two because Drexel's on the quarter system. And then they realize that they want nothing to do with it. And a lot of them leave and like go major in business or something. Right. It's like I said, we're off the beaten path. And a lot of people that may have roots here, you know, there's a lot of people that leave the state for other careers and that, but if we're able to, a lot of us find our way back home. And I I think that's the beauty of Maine is that, you know, it's kind of the, we're out there, but it's still close enough to, you know, we can go to Boston if we need to for, you know, major shows that don't get to make their way up to Maine because it's, it's tough when we're a competing market with one of the largest markets on the East coast, but right. New York is six hours away. Boston, not with traffic. Boston's like two hours away from Portland. You've got Providence, you know, smack dab in the middle, Hartford, you know, even further down the East coast, Philadelphia and even DC are all within a day's drive. Like, it's not like we're in the middle of nowhere. You can easily get there. and It's the beauty of the Northeast. But, um, you know, it's not like the West Coast where it's basically L.A. to San Francisco and you just wasted half your life getting there. And then San Francisco <laughs> to Seattle, you may as well take a two-week vacation to get up there because it's going to take a long drive. But yeah. um, the, be- the beauty is we're not disconnected, but we're not really connected either. You know, it's Portland as a whole, in general as a market, it's a, a perfect little big city in the regard that we do get concerts up here. We do get a lot of shows. Um, we have, you know, all the amenities of a larger city, but there's not as much crime. There's not as many problems per se that, you know, you might have to deal with in LA or New York and that traffic, but traffic here, it's like people complain if you're stuck at a stoplight versus LA where you're in a traffic jam on the 405 for hours of your life. Literally. Yes. I mean, the upside of that is you get to play Pokemon Go, but <laughs> the downside of that is you're wasting you know valuable time that you could be doing other things. Right. And here in Maine, I mean, we don't have that kind of traffic. We do, you know, during like Memorial Day weekend because of vacationers, and that's it. And you can't complain about traffic in Maine if you've been to New York or LA, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and even just the difference between LA and Orange County, like when I was working, I was over in Woodland Hills, which is just, you know, kind of northwest of LA, I guess you could say. It was basically straight up the 405 and you just like blow by UCLA. And then once you get over that hill, that's basically where I worked. And then I was living in Van Nuys, which has one single music venue. And even just, you know, going from 
Van Nuys to LA for shows during the week was a nightmare. And it's like, it was only maybe 10 miles, if that. Oh, I can imagine. I We've been in traffic jams to go from like Anaheim to LA for shows. Because right. oftentimes you'll have like a chain reaction or house of blues show. And then the yeah. next night you'll play in Hollywood or LA or something. And it, it feels like a longer drive than if you drove from, you know, LA or Anaheim to San Diego, even, you know, right. it, it's just because traffic is so congested and at least New York has the subway and Boston has the T and, you know, all these other markets, LA doesn't really have that infrastructure because it's so spread out. And it's so not to say it's, you know, spread out because it's all, central but at the same time it just seems like it goes on for miles and miles and miles and at least in new york and that everything's pretty centrally located on manhattan island and further out to you know brooklyn and queens and that but for the most part long island to new york is not that big of a deal in comparison anaheim to la like i said that's like a two-hour commute being realistic (laughs) about it yeah and i mean i did not have that apartment in van nuys the first week i was working there so i was driving from Garden Grove, which is right next to Anaheim, all the way up to Woodland Hills. I think it was 54 miles one way. And I left, I think, at like 6 or 6.15 in the morning. And I parked just after 8.30. And then I got home, I want to say it was just after 7.30 that night and that is a very long day and you know like four and a half hours of driving so it's definitely crazy how much traffic there is here but I feel like I'm in the minority when I say I like Orange County a lot better than LA because while Orange County gets traffic it's still not as bad as trying to go through downtown LA or even Hollywood and It kind of bums me out that all of the music companies basically have been moving to L.A. because I interned at Fearless two summers in a row and they were down in Huntington Beach. And that was great for me. It was like only a half hour drive. But now they've moved up to Culver City and it's like that's a crappy drive for everyone who then lived down here and worked at Fearless. So, you know, I think quite a few people have left Fearless, not necessarily because of the drive, but, you know, one of the guys I interned for is now at Big Machine in Nashville. So it's like he made a huge move. And it's just crazy that more of the LA-based companies actually don't do remote work because, you know, even being in a place like Culver City, I can imagine the rent is crazy expensive and you're not even in downtown LA or Hollywood where like all of the venues are. Yeah. It's still a ways out for sure. I think, and and it's interesting you bring that point up because the amount of not necessarily turnover due to people being terminated and fired, but just because of the movement in the industry. Right. Like we said, you know, it's an ever changing industry. And I, I can't even tell you how many times that I'll reach out to an industry friend and be like, Hey, are you still over at, you know, X company? And they'll be like, no, actually I'm doing this now. And it's, it may be the same line of work. They may still be an A&R guy or girl or, you know, somebody that, you know, was booking shows or, you know, as an agent and now they're a talent buyer or now they're a publicist or now they're a manager or maybe they were doubling up on those things and they're at an entirely different company or shifted genres and that. Like there's so many ways that you can change your career in a moment's notice and it's you know if you're not in constant communication with your contacts and your network 
you'd be surprised as to how few people really stay in the same position. And I feel like even 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, before we really got into this, I feel like that was not necessarily the case. I feel like in, you know, we'll say the nineties, if you were an A and R in the nineties, you probably stayed at that label for quite some time. You weren't bouncing around here. It's like here today, gone tomorrow. And that's even if you were really there as an A and R full time, you may have been doing marketing job. You may have been doing a, you know, publicity in house or, you know, there's so many different aspects that I feel like A&R has, you know, become such a broad term that you're really doing multiple jobs at once now, too. Yeah. And like you mentioned, people coming and going in positions. When I've been looking for music industry related jobs, I see a lot that are director jobs or manager jobs or, you know, these senior executive positions. And I'm like, why would people give up these jobs? And for someone like me who, Yes, I had an entry-level job at basically a publishing licensing company. So, you know, they handled all the royalties for all the songs in their database and everything is essentially the idea there. And it's just like at that place, they have a lot of turnover because you can't move up in that company because everyone who has an office there is staying there. So it's like that one job was the complete opposite of seemingly the rest of the industry, basically. And I just want to, I guess, see what your advice would be for either people like myself that have already done stuff in the industry, but can't find, you know, that solid paying job for something you actually want to do and for people who might be interested in working in the music industry, but haven't done anything relating to it yet i honestly there's i've yet to find a key that will land anybody a surefire position to say you know here's your safety net for the next few years kind of deal um other than you know creating a position for yourself and that's not easy to do i mean technically being a manager we were able to do that you know we created our own company or i created my own company and then you know adam did his with new age and that and then we merged but um you know, there, I think the reason we did that was out of necessity because there wasn't much movement in the job market because there was so much movement, much like the housing market, you know, a few years ago, it was to the point where there were more people looking for jobs than there were actual jobs. And I think that will always be the case in this industry because it's such a commodity. Right. But at the same time, you know, we're becoming more and more of a multimedia industry than just strictly music. Yeah. So if you can diversify um, you know, your skill set and be willing to do things that may be out of your comfort zone. You know, if you got into this doing, we'll say PR, but like I said, I've got friends that jumped from PR to talent buying at a venue and they got lucky to do that. And they found out that they, you know, love that aspect of it. For me, it was, you know, tour managing and then jumping into management, which it's, there's a lot of differences, but there are also a lot of similarities between those two positions. You know, you're solving problems and, you know, putting fires out left and right with both positions there. It's the same skill set to an extent. Just one is office-based and more driven towards the long term while the other is thinking really in the moment. And, you know, whether it's from getting the artist to point A to point B or, you know, solving an issue with a venue or, you know, whatever whatever you may be dealing with on your hands at the time, um, you know, they're, they're very similar skill sets. So if you know what your strengths are, focus on those and then try to expand on those because, being able to put yourself in a position that you can be versatile is going to give you more flexibility and more opportunity than, say, somebody who's like, no, I want to 
strictly stick with PR and that may be giving yourself another opportunity. Like you had said, you know, you're not opposed to looking for positions necessarily inside music or outside music, you know, and having a flexibility that's going to give you a better opportunity, I would say, than most, to be honest. Right. But at the same time, I also feel like there's less jobs that are filtering into the music industry now more than ever because people are outsourcing and bringing in other, you know, aspects to it that may not have been there even five years ago. Right. So the, the state of the music industry is really, it's tough to address because it's constantly changing. What we're talking about right now will not be relevant six months from now, yeah. you know, or a year from now, you know, it may, it may get better, it may get worse. And, you know, you look at the trends in music, you look at, you know, digital versus physical sales, you look at, um, you know, streaming, you look at, you know, all the other issues that we've had, you know, with everything coming up recently with labels, you know, the standby record situation that recently came to light, the um, recent, it's not really recent because it came out like 10 years ago, but the whole accusations against victory good or bad. I don't want to dive too much into that, but all these things that are coming up, it shows just how, you know, while this industry seems, you know, perfect on the outside looking in, once you get into it, it can be very grueling and there's a lot of unforgiving parts to it that are constantly moving. And those things can cause problems when you're trying to find a position. So it's, it's because it's a constantly moving thing. Like I said, you know, it it could change tomorrow and this conversation will be obsolete. So yeah, it's definitely very hit or miss considering it's such a big industry. Absolutely. It's like playing a game of Battleship literally in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's definitely some good advice there. And just, you know, basically be prepared for the worst in the music industry at all times. Absolutely. I mean, my mantra, and this came as my time as a tour manager, and I learned from, um, honestly somebody who basically you know taught me the ropes i I consider him a mentor and this individual basically taught me you know as a tm your job is not necessarily to you know predict how things happen but prepare for the worst and hope for the best and be prepared that there will never be a best and for me as a manager i try to be a bit more optimistic now because things are a little bit more in my control than you know losing a tire on the side of you know 95 going down to Florida or, right. you know, some of the other crazy situations we've gotten ourselves into, you know, that I've had to get ourselves out of as a tour manager. But as a manager, at least I can see the bigger picture in front of me and I have a bit more control over, you know, what happens or what doesn't happen and, you know, how things happen. And I'm able to kind of, like I said, prepare for the worst, but really hope for the best. And I think that's a mantra that if you can get behind that, um, you're going to be suited you know, in the industry, if you have that, like I said, that skill set and that mindset and, you know, remaining positive is a big part of it. If you're negative, you know, things aren't going to happen for you. You have to make things happen. Right. So definitely. Well, why don't we go ahead and close out with a brighter spot in the music industry, which is the actual music. What have you been really enjoying out of the 2016 releases so far? 2016 has been unreal for music yeah. for me it's it, it seems like week after week i'm finding something new to listen to or an artist that i forgot about like good charlotte who come out of nowhere with a record and it's phenomenal um lately though I, I would say you know for newer artists milestones they're a younger band out of the uk they kind of sound like state champs and as it is uh they recently signed to fearless actually it's funny you mentioned them um really great groups of dudes though from the uk they put out an ep last month i highly recommend checking that out 
with confidence, they seem to be like the buzz band from the Warped Tour scene this summer. Um, admittedly, I got into that. I'll, I'll always love pop punk at heart. So, I mean, right. I have a soft spot for that. The Struts, I mentioned them. And then, obviously, you have the hard hitters like Seos and Blink-182 and uh, Panic at the Disco. That's arguably my favorite record that I've heard all year. It's, it's too damn catchy, and that production is just unreal. I, I haven't heard anything like that in years. But you've had a lot of great artists that have come, like I said, out of nowhere. And you've had a lot of artists, too, that have welcomed been welcome surprises to me like moose blood and the chain smokers i honestly when they first came out with that selfie song i wanted to punch myself in the face every time <laughs> i heard it and now i feel like i'm listening to those guys at least once a day whatever single they're pushing right now you know closer with halsey that song is going to be the jam of 2016 last year it was um you know the song with charlie poof and wiz khalifa this year it's the chain smokers so yeah, and seeing your list, it reminded me that I still needed to listen to Moose Blood. So I did that literally right before we started recording, and it's definitely a solid album. And last year, what I did was I started listening to new releases every single week, and I think I ended up with over a 100 albums that I listened to and somewhere between... I want to say like 30 and 50 EPs and I kept a list. So I've been doing that this year, but I've kind of been slacking on listening to new stuff on Fridays when it comes out. So I have to get going on that. Got Moose Blood out of the way. And I keep forgetting that Panic at the Disco came out this year because it seems so long ago already. It was such an early release and there's so many things that have happened this year outside of releases, just in general with the music. You know, with Prince dying and, you know, there's been a lot of tragedy this year. I, you yeah. know, I don't want to get dwell on the bad things, but because there have been a lot of good things that have gone on. But it, it seems like so many monumental things have happened this year alone in general. And I feel like this election, particularly, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but this election is just dragged on. Right. So it feels like 2016 has been like four years all in one. It's hard to believe that <laughs> yeah. January was still only seven or eight months ago, you know, so... I will say, if you're ever looking for new music, I, I'm a big fan of Spotify. I know it doesn't pay out to artists as much as I would like it to, right. but it is an incredibly valuable tool. I mean, it has, to, to their credit, they did give artists, collectively speaking, at labels unsigned and signed, unlike $3 billion in revenue. So it's not a total loss. I mean, it is a great marketing tool, but um, as a fan, being able to find new releases there has been unbelievable. They come out with a playlist every Friday, and you know, I check that, and the Discover Week is a great asset as well there's constantly artists that i may have slept on or overlooked one of my two of my favorite records actually from 2016 that i or 2015 that i didn't even get to into until this year and i hate to admit that but i the mighty last year probably my favorite release and i've listened to that more than anything this year Mm -hmm. was simply because it came up in my discover weekly like i knew i liked the band i didn't realize how much i loved them though and that was all you know thanks to spotify and ended up you know buying the vinyl and the uh, physical of it as well and the same thing with Halsey too I kind of slept on her last year and turns out she's actually one of my favorite pop artists right now so definitely check out the playlist that Spotify recommends you because there's a lot of great hidden gems there as well yeah I've been meaning to check that out because personally I use Apple Music more so because with Hi-Fi Noise I get you know advances through Holix and everything so I really wanted a place to keep all of my music. I think that was my main issue with, you know, using Spotify and then RDO. And then, you know, once Apple Music came out, I was like, okay, this is what I've been looking for. Because to their credit, 
it's super easy to just add stuff into your library when you're paying for Apple Music. You basically really just is. hit add and it goes in there. But I have been meaning to check out that Discover Weekly playlist. So, you know, maybe I just have to go listen to a few things on Spotify every day and see how that turns out. Because while I do find out about new music just from receiving press releases all the time, it's like sometimes that's so much that I can't keep up with all of it. And I don't even get, you know, press releases from, you know, 20, 30 PR companies or something like that. I have it pretty limited, I would say, to probably around 10 different PR companies. But when you have big picture media, you know, they have tons of clients and they have, you know, five to 10 people working there and sending you press releases throughout the week. So it's definitely hard to keep up with a bunch of new stuff. So I think Spotify is doing a great thing with Discover Weekly because I've noticed with Apple Music, it's like they'll give me stuff I already know I like. Right. So it's not really too great for the discovery thing. The For You section is great when you know I'm out on the treadmill or elliptical and just want something that I can mindlessly listen to. So, you know, it has its ups and downs, but I feel like that's every streaming service. Like, I feel like none of them are perfect. And I think that's where they get people paying for, you know, two or even three streaming services without them really noticing because how many people signed up for Tidal when Rihanna's album or Kanye's album came out and then they just kept getting charged for it because they, you know, didn't think to cancel the trial or whatever right i think and this kind of touches on what you said earlier but i think with new music and that we're lucky in the industry that we often get to hear about things on the side maybe before other people do we definitely do but right um as a fan and you know trying to keep it oriented to the fans on the side industry because ultimately they're the reason we have jobs ourselves included i mean as long as you're buying music you're a fan but what i've noticed is that there really aren't many places that are actively saying, Hey, this album is coming out. You know, it seems like reviews are there, you know, in all press and in spin and, you know, other places, but it seems like premieres and exclusives, at least from what I've noticed in press are not nearly as prevalent as they used to be. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and give a shout out, shout out to Zach Zarillo for property or Zach, because I can tell you anytime I ever felt lost, which was more often than I'm willing to admit publicly when I'm trying <laughs> to find new music. I would go to POZ and I guarantee I could find something within five minutes of searching, you know, a new artist or an unsigned artist. Ashley Aaron did a great job there with, um, you know, the unsigned playlist that she would come up with. And uh, really everybody there did a great job with it. And the same thing at Absolute Punk. There was so many great things on the board so that, you know, I would go and I would find something that I liked that, you know, I never would have. I guarantee either one of those places, had I not known about Moose Blood, that's where I would have found it at. But thanks to Spotify, that's where I found it at. And I actually left Spotify because I wasn't using it. I was, I was inactive. I was right. using my iTunes. And then when Apple Music first came out, I jumped on the three-month trial bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about a year. I you know, I stuck around with it. I love the interface. I love how seamless it looks with Apple and iOS and all that. And the, the ease of use is great. The, the UI is arguably stronger at Spotify, or at least it was at the time. But I realized that they were, you know, I'd make a playlist of you know unsigned artists and then it would give me a playlist like you're recommended for you 
would be yeah. all top 40, which I have a soft spot for top 40, like Katy Perry, <laughs> yeah, Taylor yeah, Swift. I, I can't go a week without listening to a Taylor Swift song and no shame, even Justin <laughs> Bieber, you know, but right. when it comes down to it, I also want to be able to actually, you know, discover music that I haven't listened to. And I've made a goal for 2016 and I'll probably stick with this goal for the rest of my life is to try and find not necessarily an artist, but at least a record or a song or something that I may have missed over the years or even something that's come out new. And I try and force myself to listen to something new at least once a week. So if there's any bands listening to this, feel free to tweet your music to me if you think I haven't heard it yet, because I would love to hear it. But um, in, in this particular case, that's like the one saving grace that Spotify has. And that's why I was willing to jump ship at Apple and go back to Spotify. And to their credit, they've done a great job with the UI. It looks a little bit better now than it has in the past. And it's certainly more user-friendly but being able to rely on that Discover Weekly playlist and being able to come back to it, you know, in every Monday they give you this playlist and nine times out of ten of like the 20 songs are there are all songs I haven't heard. So it fits right. nicely in that kind of goal that I mentioned. And I think, I, honestly, I think everybody should ha have that goal and try and listen to something new every week because you're going to find things that you may have preconceived and thought that I wouldn't have liked this, but those preconceived notions led you to think that you would be a fan. But in reality, you may find your next favorite band this way. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny that you mentioned Zach Cirillo because I actually helped out with Property of Zach for a bit. And with Zach going to Drexel, we hung out a lot freshman year. And that's how I kind of found out about, you know, these pop punk bands and bands like Misser and that sort of thing. And then him and I ended up living together for the duration of my time at Drexel, at least. I finished a little early, so I kind of left him hanging there. Sorry, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely cool to see what he was doing with property of Zach and not necessarily that I was, you know, a huge part of that, that like you mentioned, Ashley Aaron was running all these unsigned band features and everything. And I actually ended up signing one of those bands because they were based out of Jersey. And that was when I was starting my label for my senior project and everything. So I ended up signing corporate hearts and they were basically an acoustic brother duo and, you know, even though it didn't generate like a massive amount of sales or something, it was still a really cool process to get to work on that with them and to have found out about them through Property of Zach and that sort of thing. So it kind of all came full circle there for me. And like you mentioned, with people trying to listen to something new every week, I try to put something that maybe I necessarily wouldn't normally check out for the releases every week. And like I mentioned, getting press releases helps a lot with that because, you know, you'll be getting press releases for smaller bands that aren't even going to make it onto like the Metacritic weekly release calendar or something like that. So right. that's definitely helpful. And, you know, with Hi-Fi Noise, I try to post about more of the smaller bands like I'll get a bunch of stuff from Brixton Agency that you know I'm not really seeing anywhere else obviously you know they still get premieres and everything but you know these bands aren't going on bigger sites or anything like that necessarily you know you get alt press here and there once in a while but it's really cool just finding all of these smaller bands to kind of get into and listen to that only have one or two releases out Oh, absolutely. I think I think that's the beauty of it. If you know where to look, you're going to find things that you know may go 
otherwise undiscovered for you. But at the same time, um, you know, like I said, you know, there were places like Property Zach and Absolute Punk, and that's not to discredit all press and all these other outlets that are out there that have done a great job about covering, you know, that side of our little right. music community and the warped community, or however you want to describe it, with pop punk and that. But those places, I can think those two particular publications for finding a lot of the bands that, you know, I, I listened to then that I still listen to now, you know, bands like Pentimento probably would not have ever come up on my radar if it wasn't for them. Boost Blood, you know, same thing. They came on my radar from uh, Absolute Punk and I ended up watching them on Warped Tour. I think it was 2014 or 2015 when they were out and fell in love with their stage presence. And then, you know, this record, I was like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. And there's so many bands that, like I said, they fly under the radar because there, there's so many bands out there that, you know, there's only so many hours in the day you can listen to music, you know, and um, you're bound to miss a couple no matter what. So I, I think the more availability that you can find there, the more likely you'll be when you find something else that you may love. And it's funny you mentioned Corporate Hearts because Ashley showed me that band and I loved the unique style that they had with like the acoustic background that it was so different than anything else I was listening to. Yeah. And I honestly, I forgot about all those bands at the same time that you know, I found from her and, you know, Pentimento being one of them and a few other bands that, you know, come to mind. But it's incredible to see how much of a community and how driven people can be in here. You know, Zach in this case started out with his blog being basically a Blink-182 paradise. Yeah. Anything Blink-182, that was what he was about. And it evolved to this thing that really brought a lot of people together and brought, you know, music to, you know, people that may not have seen it otherwise, be it on Tumblr or on his blog or, you know, even on Twitter and Facebook and that. So um, it, it's cool to show that the impact that, you know, one small group of people can have on the careers of many when you think about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I will go ahead and let you go. I'm sure you have some managing to do today, but thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to talk. No problem. And to our listeners, as always, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.